Well, good evening again, everyone. Um, We're back, like I said earlier, we're back in our series on biblical stewardship. And, uh, and kind of what, I, what we want to do is look at principles that, um, from Scripture that teach us how to think about and handle our, our money, our possessions, um, even our, our resources, like our, our time, our energy, those kind of things uh, in this world. Now, last time... We, we looked at, I did kind of an introduction, and I, we looked at the, the parable in Luke chapter 12, and I want you to go back there. So let's go to Luke chapter 12. So I did, I did a bit of an introduction, and then we looked at this text and section for the rest of our time. Luke 12, let's start reading in verse 13. <clears throat> Someone in the crowd said to him, and that's to Jesus there, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So that's the parable we looked at last time. Now, um, and, and you know, even if you weren't here last time, I think it, I just want to kind of go through what are, what are some of the main points from that parable. What do, what do you see there? You know, you might remember some of the things from last time, but just kind of, if you can, just shoot out things that, that stick out from the passage. Selfish. selfish, good, yeah, selfish. The rich man was selfish. He was thinking about himself. We could kind of go off of that a little bit. What, in what ways was he thinking about himself? And that could be for anyone. Greedy, yeah, he's greedy, he wants things for himself. What, what else sticks out from the passage, or, or even more of in which ways was he selfish? <clears throat> Retirement, plan. Retirement plan, yeah, so he's thinking about his, his future in a way, right? He's thinking about his future, but not, not really in light of, in, in light of what? I think I. Serving himself yeah, he's serving himself rather than serving Christ. Yeah, his goal is to relax, eat, be merry, which is again very selfish, greedy, thinking about himself. What's he not thinking about this whole time? 
Others. Okay, yeah, not thinking about others. <clears throat> no, that's okay. No, I'm just I'm just just getting us started slowly. I gotta get you guys warmed up a little bit, so um yeah, good. Storing up earthly treasures. I think that's that's one of the main things that that's happening there. This this man is not thinking about eternity. He's got his mind on the earth. He wants to have comfort now, but he forgets that he forgets about eternity. What else does he forget about? What what happens before we get into eternity? That's right. We die. Good job, Lindell. That's really good. Um, we die, and he, I think he forgot that he's going to die one day, and then God asks him, well, who, whose are those things going to be that you stored up for yourself? <clears throat> and the, the parable doesn't go into the answer to that question. Maybe they'll be for his children or whatever, but the, the idea there is he's going to lose all of those things that he was hoping to enjoy. So um, just to kind of go over it again here, a few things that I kind of took note of that stood out to me. Um, Look at verse 15 there. It says, take care and be on your guard. Now this is before the parable proper, but that word there, take care, means watch. It's literally just see, like see, but the idea then is beware, watch out, watch. And then the next word, guard, and that's a a word that... um, was used in prisons. It's, it's a like, like protect, guard, keep a watch. And so Jesus wants us to take care and guard. And, and those words are very serious words. This is a, an area we need to be diligent about. And what, what are we supposed to take care and, and guard against? And, and that's this idea, uh, all covetousness. Take care, be on your guard against all Covetousness, and note the word "all" there. All forms of it. Covetousness has the idea of of desires to have what other other people's ha- other people have, right? So, so we're we're to watch out for all forms of covetousness, all desires to have what others have, and that word covetousness there is also translated often in the New Testament, greed. It's a, a, one of the lexicons said, a state of desiring more than one's due. So watch out for desiring more than your due. And that goes beyond just money and possessions. Covetousness could be in anything, any, we could want anything that other people have. But the context here, again, is money and possessions. This guy, this, this guy who interrupted Jesus' message, wants his brother to share the inheritance with him, divide the inheritance with me. And so he wants this, and Jesus warns, watch out for this kind of covetousness, this kind of a desire. And Jesus' explanation of the warning was, look at that again there in verse 15 again, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So we're to beware watch out for thinking that our life is about what we have. That's a, that's a kind of thinking that we have to very seriously and diligently and carefully watch out for. And I think it, it creeps in because we're just living this world. And so there's, 
the, the, the you know, things, we, we just live and interact with things and, and pretty soon we start thinking again, my life consists in the things that I have or don't have and Jesus says, watch out for that, be careful about that. And I think if we're honest, we all slip into that mindset. I almost feel like I could hear teaching on this like every week and it just kind of like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be eternally minded and, and not worry uh, and not think that way. So again, verse 22, look at, actually we didn't read verse 22, but right after this parable, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. And so the idea again, life is more than food and, and we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of the more, right? We don't lose sight of the things that are, go beyond our possessions and, and what we own. Um, the rich man, he lost sight of that truth. And, and he, he thought that the, uh, the abundance of his possessions was everything to him, right? He, he had all this stuff and he was just going to enjoy it. He was going to eat and drink and be merry. He was going to relax. He was going to, you know, I don't know, just, he was going to sit in the hot tub and whatever you like to do to relax and, you know, the ultimate like fun thing. Nothing wrong with hot tubs necessarily, but the, the, that was like his life was going to be just relaxing, eating nice food, um, things that are enjoyable. But he, again, he forgot that he was going to die one day. He forgot that he was going to lose all of those things. He forgot about eternity. And he forgot that he would leave the abundance of goods behind. And ultimately that he would one day stand before God in judgment. And the Lord tells us through the parable that forgetting about eternity, forgetting about death, forgetting about judgment is foolish. Or even stronger, the one who lives like that is a fool. And that's, that's like, that's strong language, but that's just right from the parable. God said to him, verse 20, fool, this night your soul is required of you. So again, in verse 21, instead of storing up wealth for ourselves, we are to be rich towards God. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And, and this involves an eternal perspective. And this eternal perspective is something Jesus talked about over and over and over again. We're to use our, our resources to serve the Lord. We're, we're to suffer for Him and for His kingdom and, and live in light of eternity in that way. Live in light of eternity by serving God's people, by building His kingdom, by by participating in the work of the church. And just to kind of see that again, this, this same thing, let's go to Matthew 6, just, just really briefly here. Go to Matthew 6, 19, and we'll look at verses 19 to 21. Here Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And that's exactly what the, the rich fool was doing. He was going to lay up his treasures for himself on earth. But instead Jesus says, verse 20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. And so the, the question really for us, the kind of like an application question, a question to think about is where is our treasure? Where is our treasure? Is it, is it in things on the earth? Is it uh, in a barn storing up goods? Or is it invested in eternity? Is, is your treasure laid up in heaven or is it on earth? And, and again, another way to ask that is where is your heart? What are you what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about the Lord and his kingdom and, and his church and his people? Or are you thinking about um, money, possessions, and, and, and what you can have? Where's our attention? Where's our affection? Where, you know, what are we loving? Is it, is it here or there? Is it, is it temporal in, in time? Or is it in, eternal in the future? Heaven or earth? And so the... <clears throat> The, fir- the first principle that I was, I was trying to lay down last time and uh, is that we have to have an eternal perspective. So that's, and that really kind of is going to overarch everything. That's the foundation for everything is we need to set our mind beyond here and think about our eternal future. Now, if we're going to have an eternal perspective, um, What, what kinds of things would, would you have to, to know before that? This is, this might be a tough question. What, if you're gonna, if you're gonna kind of think about eternity, what, what do you have to know? What, what goes before that? What's a, a prerequisite? And there, there could be lots of things. What would be a prerequisite to an eternal perspective? Does anyone think where I'm going on that? Knowing, yeah, okay, knowing God's in control, how, and how do you mean? Okay, God, God's in control of our finances, plans, purposes. Um, I'm, I'm not making the connection, but that... Yeah, so um, without, without salvation, you can't consider eternity. And I think that's, that, so that's, that's kind of where, where I was going, where I was thinking, that's okay. Sometimes my questions are hard and I don't, I don't know how to um, ask them well to kind of get you going where I'm going. But so salvation, um, what, what, what would be involved in our salvation that would, would help prepare us for eternity? That's another kind of trickier question, I think. So if we don't have salvation, we're not, we're not going to go to heaven. So if we, you know, if we don't lay up our, if we laid up, if we could lay up treasures in heaven without our salvation, we wouldn't join our treasures if, if we think about it that way without salvation. What else in salvation helps us to lay up, lay up treasures in heaven? Good. Okay. The, Will says the promise of them in eternity. So if we're going to have an eternal perspective, we need to know what God says about rewards in heaven, right? Like if we don't understand that there's rewards in heaven for how we live in this world, then um, it's going to be hard for us to 
to live in, in light of eternity because we don't know what's, that something good's going to be happening there. Does that make sense? So that's a prerequisite. Um, so I think, I think like understanding our reward, understanding what heaven is, I think all of those things are going to help us to lay up treasures in heaven. Um, what is, when we think about the prerequisite of salvation, if we go back to that, what, what happens in salvation that helps us to lay up our rewards in heaven? <laughs> the, the Bible is where we get all of this information. Um, what 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 is what happens to us when we when we get saved? Born again. Change of heart. How else do you describe that? I think this is where I was tr- trying to go a little bit. We become self more selfless. Yeah, we're we're the, our whole like perspective changes from worshippers of self to to become worshippers of God. And, and if now that we're worshipers of God, we are going to live for him and, and serve him and love him. And so we want to be a, a blessing to him. We want to be a, we want, we kind of join in his work that he's doing in the world. Um, we love him. We, we give up our life for him and all of that together helps us to, and, and enables us, maybe we should say, to, to lay up treasures in heaven. If you don't have that, if you don't have that salvation, that perspective change, that, that new life, it's impossible to live the way that Scripture tells us to live, laying up treasures in heaven. It's impossible because it's, it's, it's totally contrary to our natural self. Does that make sense? Like it, you, you, you can't do it because you don't, you, there's no desire to do it. Even if you know that you should, there's just no desire to live that way because you're like, it, in the natural state of man, eating, drinking, relaxing. What was the other thing that that guy wanted to do? Be merry. Thank you. He wanted to, that's, that comes natural. But now that we're born again, we find joy in serving the Lord and, and living in the way that's going to prepare us for eternity. So, um, so that's kind of a prerequisite. So we have to kind of step back and say, okay, if I'm going to have an eternal perspective, I better just make sure, first of all, am I, am I saved? Am I born again? Do I love God? Do, do I want to give up my life for Jesus Christ and, and serve him? Um, do I know what, what he promises me in heaven, the rewards that he's going to give? Do I know what heaven is and the joys that are going to be there? All of that kind of goes and and leads us into having an eternal perspective that, that we really can't have um, unless we're saved. So, in other words, if this is the foundation of our series, then this is um, a series for believers. Uh, this is unbelievers. You can't. You're not going to be able to do this. You might be able to later on when we talk about. Um, I don't know, debt and saving and giving and, and some of those like really practical things, you might be able to do that. But unless you're saved, you're not going to be able to, to live the way that Jesus calls us to live as far as our possessions because you have, you have no taste for eternity. You're just like the, the fool in the parable. And really, um, if that's all there is in your mind, then, then eating, drinking, and being merry in this little short time that you have on earth, that's really all that you have because 
for you, there won't be anything good after that. You know, remember the, in Luke 16, the parable there, the, the rich man and Lazarus, um, God or, or Moses tells the, um, the rich man, you have had all your good things already. And that's, that's kind of all of our good is in this world unless we're saved. And then all of our good is really in the next world, not in this world. So this is a series for believers. The first step is an eternal perspective. And, and that's, that eternal perspective begins with being right with God through salvation in Jesus Christ. And there's really, again, no other way to do this apart from that. Now, the second principle that, that I, at least that I came up with or that, that I want to do, and, and again, I am kind of following Randy Alcorn's book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Um, the second principle that I, I want to kind of begin to start today, we're going to call it uh, our earthly posture. So we had our eternal perspective. Number two, our earthly posture. Our earthly posture. We, we live on the earth, we are physical beings. We have flesh and blood and, and, uh, we are earthly physical beings and, but we're to lay up treasure on heaven. So, so we, we lay up treasures in heaven, but we live on earth. And there's a, a proper balance when we think about h- how we should interact with things of the world. And, th- and there's a, a balance in this area that scripture teaches. And that's what I mean by our earthly posture. We, we want to, we want to kind of recognize and stay in between what I'm going to call kind of two extremes. Two extremes that we can, that we can go into when we think about our relationship with the world. So when you think about our, our relationship in the world as physical beings, does anyone want to try to guess what one or maybe even both of the extremes might be? Does anyone know what I'm, what I might be starting to get at here? What would be extreme positions in regard to how we live in this world? I'll try to be really nice if you get it wrong. <laughs> I'll just play. It's my fault. So, okay, sell everything you own. Yeah, that I think that would be that would be one extreme. That's that's or that's at least on the side of one extreme. What what else might go with that? So what what else do you? Th- comes to mind when you think of somebody who sells everything that they own. The, yeah, the poor, the poor widow in, um, she gave everything, all the last two mites that she had. Yeah. The last two copper pennies. Um, what else is on that side of, of an extreme with, 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 uh, our interaction with the world? Anyone else want to So heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good. Okay, yeah. So I, th- I think there's something there, but that's not exactly where I'm going yet. But we, we, should, we should talk about that at some point. Um, when you think about somebody who sells everything they have, how do they live after they sold everything that they have? Who do, who do you think of when you think of somebody who sold everything that they had? Martin Luther? Yeah, okay, Martin Luther, 
the, the monk, the Martin Luther, the monk, what, what, what else did Martin Luther, that's, that's getting there. What else did Martin Luther, the monk do besides maybe take a vow of poverty? I can't remember if the Augustinian monks took a vow of poverty or not, but he, he did live. How did he live? Does anyone know much about what Martin Luther did? Isolated, um, yeah, uh, yeah, he was. Um, he was. They were kind of away from everyone, and they lived in the monastery separate. Uh, not, no, he wasn't lazy. Actually, he he worked very hard. Okay, but that's that could be. A, I better, you know what, I better just tell you guys what I'm thinking about. <laughs> He's like, wow, this went till 10 o'clock. Um, so, when, so when I think about um, somebody selling everything, I, I do think of Martin Luther the monk, and I think of like Martin Luther the monk on his, um, his prayer vigils, his fastings, um, he, would, he would go on, on the pilgrimages, he would, he would bow on every step, he would he would beat his body basically. He would he would fast himself. Um, in in fact, so much so that so much did he fast that later on in his life, he said his flatulence was due to his um, his over fasting <laughs> before um, before he got saved because he just he he worked he worked his body so hard. Um, he he really gave up everything and um and uh and bordered on what what they call asceticism. You guys you guys know that word asceticism? Um who else who what what biblical person do you think of when you think about somebody that's kind of would be more towards that asceticism Martin Luther pre-salvation? Who do you think of of somebody who really beat their body and um, and and um, was rough on themselves? Maybe Paul. Yeah, Paul says in First Corinthians nine, "I I beat my body." So that's like word for word. Who else do you think of? Maybe a um, maybe somebody in the wilderness that lived a bit of a rough life. John the Baptist. Yeah, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. So one of the, one of the pictures of, of, of the two extremes, remember there, there's going to be two extremes here. These, these improper earthly postures, remember earthly postures is, is our, our title here for this section, is John the Baptist, and then we could look at the other side and we could call it Jesus, but, but those... When I say that, I don't mean those guys were off balance. They're, but they're, they kind of represent the two extreme sides of, of what I'm trying to get to. So, John the Baptist, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And uh, let's just start in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And you, you remember from somewhere else in scripture, it says John the Baptist was like, he was in the wilderness until his, um, appearance to Israel. So it almost seems like he was born and then he went into the wilderness. I don't know how old he was when he went into the wilderness, but John the Baptist lived in the wilderness of Judea, like desert climate. And, uh, 
his message, verse 2, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the, of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 4, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So there's John, camel's hair garment, which is a, a, a very uncomfortable, almost like a sack kind of a garment, leather belt around his waist, and he's eating locusts and wild honey. And, and that's kind of a picture of asceticism. Um, living in the wilderness, rough clothing, and um, really, in a sense, rough food, locusts and wild honey. Um, an ascetic is, this is from the Oxford English Dictionary, characterized by, so somebody or something that is characterized by or suggesting the practice of severe self-discipline and abstention from all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Or it could describe a person who's the, who's the same, a person who practices severe self discipline and abstention. They, they, they stay away from any form of indulgence. Uh, and asceticism is, the, is severe self-discipline and avoidance of all form of indulgence, again, typically for religious reasons. Now, as we think about that, severe self-discipline, again, you know, Martin Luther comes to mind, John the Baptist not really eating, um, go to Matthew 11, and let's look at, at the picture of both John and Jesus here now. So Matthew 11, <clears throat> verse 2. Now, when, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Verse 7, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What, did you go, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? And of course, these questions are the answers no. John wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. He was kind of a, a, a mighty strong man. Uh, he wasn't a man dressed in soft, soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, or yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Now jump down to verse 16 as Jesus continues on. He says, but, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So John wasn't dressed in soft clothing. He wore the opposite. He wore that, that 
leather or that camel skin garment, that camel hair garment. Um, he came, according to, the, to Jesus, he came neither eating nor drinking, which is quite a way to describe someone. He didn't, that guy didn't eat or drink. Like, it's like, you know, that nobody ever saw him eating or drinking. He just, because he just ate locusts and wild honey. And I just, you know, those aren't, like, it's not like he was running around the wilderness all the time eating locusts, finding locusts. Like, he was, he just probably almost seemed to never eat to people. Um, he lived an ascetic lifestyle. He was a lifestyle of severe self-discipline. He ate locusts and honey in the wilderness. And the opposite, what would be the opposite of somebody like that then? And you could probably just draw it from the text, yeah? A king, yeah, who dressed in soft clothing. How else would you see the opposite of, of John the Baptist? A glutton, yeah, a glutton. Um, what do you call somebody like that? If, John's, if, we, if John would be like on the borderline of an ascetic, what's somebody on the other side of the spectrum? Indulgent, yeah, that's a good word for indulgent. Um, what other words do you think of? What do you, what do you call that kind of a lifestyle, an indulgent lifestyle, dressed in soft clothing, eating gluttonous foods, luxury, um, maybe maybe uh, materialistic or or worldly. I I just heard somebody say worldly or materialistic. Now, Jesus wasn't worldly, obviously, or, or materialistic, but he was accused of being so because he was often seen eating and drinking, whereas John the Baptist wasn't seen eating and drinking. So um, that, that, this whole thing this, with the children, um, I like, I'm looking forward to getting to this section and preaching this section, but you know, what shall I compare this generation to? It's like children in the marketplace calling out to their companions like, hey, we did this thing for you. We played a flute melody for you and you didn't even dance. I sang a sad song and you didn't, like, you know, you're not doing it. You're not playing the way that I want you to play is kind of how Jesus compares the generation because they look at John and they're going, that guy's got a demon. He doesn't even eat. He eats locusts and honey and lives in the wilderness. And then they look at the other side and they say, well, that guy's a glutton and a drunkard. Um, which Jesus wasn't, but that's what they, but he, you know, he, that guy's eating and drinking and having a good time. So either way, either way you come at me, the, the, the people of Jesus' day were like this, you know, I don't like this and I don't like this. I don't like, I don't like the way you're doing that and I don't like the way you're doing that. So, um, anyway, those, those two kind of represent for us the two extremes. Although again, I wouldn't, they're both wise. Jesus says, look at that, the end of verse, 19 wisdom is justified by her deeds in other words both Jesus and John came in wisdom and their deeds are justified but I I think it helps you kind of see the two sides that we can fall off but beyond Jesus and John on, on 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 either side there's unwise extremes that we should avoid. And, and the first one is asceticism. Again, severe self-discipline, avoidance of any indulgence. Maybe we could even, 
even kind of put it this way, like the avoidance of any enjoyment. That's what an ascetic is trying to do. And again, on the other side is materialism, worldliness, almost over-engaging in um, enjoyable things. And both are improper earthly postures for us. Bo- both are not, we're not, we're not to be either of those. Both are to be avoided in their extreme manifest, manifestations. So asceticism is founded on, on I, th- I think in most cases anyways, asceticism is founded on this idea that physical things are bad or evil in and of themselves. And, th- and they should be avoided because of that. The, the ascetic thinks, if I'm going to be really spiritual... If I'm going to be really godly, if I'm going to be really holy, then I need to, um, I need to deny myself physical things. I, I need to deny physical pleasures of any sort because I'm spiritual. And it can be a, it can be a, a source of pride, but it could just be a, um, a misunderstanding of the way that, that things truly are in spirituality. So, um, this idea that, that, that physical is bad and spiritual is good, that's kind of the foundation of asceticism. Now, there could be many ways that asceticism kind of manifests itself or shows itself. What, what would be some ascetic practices that you think of? We probably already gave some away, but when you think about somebody who engages in severe self-discipline, what kind of things do you think about? Yeah, churches without lights or power, um, like like electricity kind of power. Um, yeah, what else? What else is in churches like that? That that's a form of asceticism. You know, I, there's one thing that I always think about in those churches. Clo- okay, clothing. Then that's another one. What did What did you say, Will? Oh, head coverings. I don't know if that's an ascetic pra- practice, but maybe, maybe it is. I'd, I don't, I'd, we'd, I'd have to think about that more. Hard benches. That's what I was going for. Hard benches with no backs. Because if you're really going to be spiritual, then your bum needs to hurt, right? Um, like, okay. <laughs> If you go to a church with a hard bench, we love you and, and want to help you out here. So, but you, you know what? It, they probably aren't, wouldn't see me because they would also think that electronic digital things are, are part of the physical that should be avoided too, right? So, um, anyways, so that, that, anyway, that's what I think about, you know, and I think about that on, on Sundays too when I sit in our church. So <laughs> I think it's way more comfortable standing up there. So I'm sure most of you would disagree with that, but, um, <laughs> nobody's wanting to trade except for a couple of you guys, maybe. Um, all right. What else, as far as ascetic practices, what, what do you, what comes to mind? Severe self-discipline. Colony living. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I, and I think often in those colonies, there's certain, certain things like that, that, that are, are viewed as bad that, that we can't have, right? Like, you know, like, so, like I think about the Ontario colonies where like they can't, they don't even have cars because that's sinful. I remember there was some Mennonites in, um, 
in the Vernon and Okanagan area, Halderman Mennonites. I don't know if there's any Halderman Mennonites around. I, I loved the Halderman Mennonites. They were just great guys. They would, they, would, they would whistle hymns all day while they were working in the trades. They were almost all trades guys. Great guys. Um, but the, like, they weren't allowed to have radio in their, in their trucks. And they weren't allowed to have chrome on their bumpers. So they would have beautiful brand new trucks and they would, they would like get like a, um, I don't know the right word, but they would get it, they would order another bumper that wasn't the chrome one that the truck came with because that, to the, that was worldly. So it was no, it's, it's no problem to buy the truck with the chrome bumper, throw away the chrome bumper and buy another bumper that looks less worldly. Um, because, but, but to them that was worldly and, but, and, but they would perceive the one guy that I'm thinking of, he would, he was never allowed to have the radio, but he read the newspaper religiously, so he knew what was going on. Anyways, just a, a bit of an ascetic practice, um, and there's many such things. What, what else do you think about? What, what do you think about Martin Luther, the monk? What, was, what kinds of things was he doing? Fast, yeah, I already told you, fasting, right, vigils. Um, like like staying up all night to pray by candlelight, um, reading until until like his body was just dead. Like think you know those are the kind of practices. Maybe eating only certain foods. Maybe certain fancy foods would would be viewed as as evil or sinful. Um, beating the body with different uh, marches and prayer walks and whatever. Um, in Martin Luther's day, celibacy was also a, an aesthetic, uh, ascetic practice that the, the priests would, would not be allowed to marry. And I think somewhere in behind that is the idea that like that's, that's, that physical relationship of marriage is a bad thing, um, at least for the priest. So this is where, in my notes, I was going to talk a little bit about Martin Luther. I think we already we did that already. Um, now, often tied to this asceticism, not only do, 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 is there this view that the, um, the physical is bad, spiritual is good, but also very often tied to this is the idea that, that somebody needs to work or do something to earn God's favor. Or... Or conversely, maybe that the idea that somebody needs to do something to pay for their sins. So I think often, maybe it's not, won't be like outrightly spoken so clearly, but I, I think often somewhere tied to this whole ascetic idea is, is that we need to do something that earns God's favor and almost like the, the harder, the better. You know, the, the more uncomfortable, the better. Or, or maybe that, again, there's like this sense of sin and guilt. And if only I could like, if only I could work harder or beat myself more, then God would be pleased. And it, it's kind of a, a sense that I'm going to pay for my own sins. Now, again, it's probably never spoken out that clearly. Nobody, no, maybe people aren't even thinking that. But when I think about the hard bench, I think like it's almost like I'm going to pay for my sins by sitting on this hard bench for like way longer than necessary so that I can, you know, pay, you know, pay for the, the guilt that I have 
And, and maybe somehow that makes you feel a bit better. So, um, this idea that, that God's going to be pleased somehow by my pain. If, if the more pain, the better. And I think that's a really a twisted, a twisted idea. Um, it's, it's, a, it's like a wrong view of God. He's, he, it's like he's hard and angry and he wants you to suffer. Um, I think that kind of is, is sometimes tied to asceticism. Um, so asceticism in, in these forms denies the gospel and it denies creation. So let's talk about those two things. How, how would you think it denies the gospel? Or le- sorry, let me, let's do creation first. How, how, what do you think I mean when I say asceticism denies creation? Good. It rejects good things that God made for us. That's what I, that's what I'm thinking of there. So God made good things. He made us physical beings. He made us with, um, with all of the senses so that we can, we can see beautiful things. We can taste delicious food. We can hear, uh, beautiful music and, 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 um, and, and feel nice things, um, comfortable things, you know. Anyways, when, when God made Mankind, he made us physical beings, and and then he pronounced it good, right? So so what God has made is good. So food, I just wrote down some things: food, clothing, comfort, intimacy with one's spouse, other other physical enjoyments are a, a good gift from God, and and we should enjoy them as gifts from God. And so so we want to be people who who recognize creation, that we were created by God, and we were created to enjoy those things. Now, what about the gospel? I, I think when, when, I, when I say that asceticism denies the gospel, the, the idea that I'm getting to there is that there's, the gospel says there's nothing that I can do to earn God's favor. There's, there's nothing that I can do to add what Jesus did for me. And so I don't need to add anything. Jesus died to make me right with God. And there's nothing that I can add to what Jesus did. Jesus paid the full penalty. Jesus accomplished everything. All I need to do is, is trust in him and believe in him. And, and none of my works are going to add anything to what he did. God is pleased with me, the gospel teaches. God is pleased with you and me because... He's pleased with Jesus. It really has nothing to do with my performance today. If I, if I do well or not, if I, if I endure difficult things for him or, or if I'm comfortable, it doesn't really make any difference how God views me because God views me through the lens of Jesus Christ. He, he sees me as he sees Jesus, because Jesus and I have been made one through the gospel, we are united together. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus's righteousness. And so God is going to treat me the way that he's going to treat his beloved son. And it really has nothing to do with, with how awesome or how poorly I performed. Now, if I'm always living in, in like abject wickedness, it, it shows that the gospel hasn't really changed and transformed my life. But, it, you know, it, if I struggle with sin like we all do and, and, and don't do as well as I should have done and I didn't say what I should have said or I didn't um, 
you know, I don't know, perform in whatever way you want to say, uh, it doesn't affect God's relationship with me because God is looking at me through the righteousness of Christ. Now, even if we just kind of take all that away, I should know or we should know that, that we're more likely to please God by enjoying God's good gifts, physical things, than by denying them. Does that make sense? Like, like do you, um, God is not pleased if, if I... Let me... Just, just uh, bear with me once. I'm just thinking through if I should, what I should say here. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, like, if 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 I just eat like plain crackers every day for dinner, plain crackers, and I, let's just say I hate plain crackers. I, I actually probably kind of like plain crackers, but if I just, if I just think they're just terrible plain crunch, like the ones that we eat for the Lord's Supper, if that was like my food like all the time, my only food, um, it doesn't please God by me eating food that I don't like. He would be more pleased, I would say, if I ate some nice strawberries or something, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is that you enjoy, God would be pleased if I ate those strawberries with thankfulness and enjoyment and was like, wow, thank you for this delicious thing. Then he is with me just um, denying that. Like, if I pretend strawberries don't taste good just because I'm like a a grumpy ascetic and I want to make my life as miserable as it is, God's not pleased by that. Like, there's no thankfulness going to him for my lack of enjoyment, right? So, so we should, just to glorify God in this world, we should enjoy the good things that he made for us. I hope that, that part kind of makes sense. Anyways, I thought that would be a little bit better illustration than what I just said. So we're not to live for this world. You know, we should live for the Lord. We should live for him. But we're free to enjoy physical things with thankfulness. And, um, and let's now, I want to go to scripture and just kind of look at some verses with you. So let's go to, uh, first Timothy four. So 1 Timothy 4, look at verse, we'll start at verse 1. Interesting verse here. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So there's going to be some people who actually depart from the faith and and for this reason here, through the verse 2, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So we got doctrines of demons, insincere liars, their consciences are seared. Look what they do in verse 3. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, 
the first part of verse 3, who, who forbid marriage, that sounds like the Roman Catholic Church to me. Um, there's the doctrines of demons, insincere liars. They forbid marriage, but also they require people to abstain from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. We, God created these foods and we are to enjoy them with thanksgiving, not abstain from them. Verse 4, for everything God created is good, or sorry, everything, that's probably the New American Standard. ESV says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And then in verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of, of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. But notice that, especially there, everything created by God is good. And the context here is specifically food, but I think also we could expand that if we look at the, the first part of verse 3 to even the, um, the intimacy of marriage. That is a good thing that God has created, and it's to be enjoyed with thanksgiving, received with thanksgiving. Um, Randy Alcorn in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, says, quote, the phrase, everything God created is good, and that's probably, I don't know what version he's using. I think he might be using the NIV in that book, but I'm not for sure. Anyways, the phrase, everything God created is good, is the theological death knell for asceticism. From a biblical perspective, everything is fair game to have and to enjoy as long as we partake thankfully and prayerfully. Unless, of course, what we partake in violates God's word. So again, everything is to be enjoyed uh, and, and we're allowed to enjoy it as long as we do it with thanksgiving and with prayer. Um, so verse 4, everything created by God is good. And, uh, and I think that's really important for us to keep in mind. Now I, I want you to try to find uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. So Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Um, as you kind of turn to Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then you're into Isaiah and the prophets. So um, the book of Ecclesiastes in brief, just argues that everything is vanity. Everything in and of itself in this world is, is, is kind of empty, futile. It's like smoke. You can't really grab it. You know, you're going to die one day and it's going to be gone. You're going to leave it behind. And, and so don't try to find your fulfillment, your, your ultimate meaning in the things of this world because it's going to be a frustrating, um, empty pursuit. But at the same time, that Solomon says that, he also says that while we're living in this world, we should eat and drink and enjoy the good things that God made, knowing that they're not like ultimately the thing that's going to fulfill our life, but just that they're a good gift from God and he has, he has given them to us to enjoy. So that's kind of the balance of, of Kohelet, uh, the preacher, uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes. But four or five times in the book, and really 
at the end of the four sections, so three times for sure, he says something like this. So look at Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 24. He says, Ecclesiastes 2.24, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God, for apart from him, apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And so again, Solomon's saying we should eat and drink and have enjoyment, not in the sense of the, the rich fool who just only wanted that, but in the sense that, that we fear God and we live in this world and, and with that fear of God and, and living in this world, we should enjoy the good things that God made, knowing that, that in and of themselves, they're not ultimate, but they, they're a good gift from him. And this enjoyment it comes from him. Without him, we can't eat and drink and have enjoyment, but with him, we can. So then just go to, go to chapter 3, and verse 12, the end of the next section. No, uh, 3.12 is not the end of the next section. But anyways, 3.12, again, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, for mankind, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And then chapter 5, verse 18, we have it again there. He says, behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. God has appointed this for you. And so find enjoyment in what you do in this life. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. So God's gift to us in this world is the wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them. We, we're dependent on God to enjoy the things of this world because they're empty of themselves. But with God's help, we can find enjoyment even though, you know, the, the illustration that always I think of is, even though I, I eat the most delicious steak, I'm like hungry again two or three hours later. Like it's just, it's, what's the point of that? It's vanity. But it tastes good and God gives me the ability to get over the vanity and just enjoy the taste for what it is. Not put my trust in it or my hope in it, but just to enjoy it for the good food that it is and realize that like later on I'm going to be, it's not going to ultimately satisfy. I'm going to have to do this whole thing again. I'm going to have to make more food and then do it and like like that's just if you you know if if you're in the kitchen making food all the time like that is just vanity right you're just you make it you work so hard it tastes really good and in like two minutes it's like done and then it's like well okay well let's clean up so if you can find and and then like do that again two hours later or maybe like some of you all are doing it five times a day because you guys have snack times in between it's vanity, but if God can give you joy in that, it's a gift from Him that that you should enjoy. And I'm like, I am I am one who enjoys, by God's grace, enjoys cooking, even though I just see like it. And I don't do it. Jody does the most of the cooking, but anyways, it's this is the gift of God. If if He's given you wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy it, 
and accept your lot in this world and rejoice in the work that you do, that is a gift from God. And even verse 20, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So for such a person that God is giving this joy, he, he's, he, God somehow by grace keeps us from thinking too much about the difficulty of the, of the world that we live in. And so we find our joy that way. It's a, it's a gift from God. And then let's do, we'll do a couple more because we might as well. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7. Uh, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. And that's kind of like this picture of a a joyful time. Oil on the head was a, a sign of blessing. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. What a great way to say that. Enjoy, you know, enjoy your wife all the vain days of your life that he's given you because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. And again, the, the idea is you're going to die. Now, now I'm not going to get into all the interpretation of, of this right now. Um, but the, the sense is here, you're going to die. Your, your life is, in a sense, is vain. But at the same time, you can enjoy it by God's grace in your life. Um, now, uh, let, let me just say with Ecclesiastes... Um, I think it's helpful to, to kind of balance out those passages in Ecclesiastes with what Solomon says at the very end, um, chapter 12. Um, verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, for me anyways, I think it helps to remember in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's talking to Israel, and their mission was just to live in Israel, enjoy God's blessings, and be a witness to the nations. So that was, their mission literally was just to eat and drink in Israel and have a good time. That was like how they were going to glorify God in the world. And so Solomon calls them to do that, but to do it with the fear of God. God's got to be central, otherwise you won't find enjoyment in those things. But with God central, he says you can find enjoyment in all of those things. Now, we have we're called to to more than that, but we're not called to less than that. We should eat and drink and enjoy the physical things that God has given us without losing sight of the eternal that we're, that we're called to do as well. So that's, that's Ecclesiastes. Let's do, let's do one more. Go to 1 Timothy 6. And we're... Actually, I think there's two more passages I want to go to here. But 1 Timothy chapter 6. So 1 Timothy 6.17, he says, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, 
charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now that's, that's just a really great passage, but the, the rich in this age... Don't set your hope on, on the uncertainty of riches. Set your hope on God. But God is the one there who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything God gives is, is for us to enjoy. But again, don't, don't just focus on that. Don't just focus on enjoying life now. But, but do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. And, and like Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven so that you can take hold of that which is truly life. In other words, just like what Jesus said, your life is more than just your possessions. So if you're, if you're rich, which I, I think all of us would probably qualify for that, if you're rich, don't focus just on the, the good things that we're free to enjoy, but, but really we want to take hold of that which is truly life by laying up treasures in heaven. So we're, what, what I want to get across today, just as we kind of look at asceticism, is, is trying to get to this balance. We're, we're free in Christ. We're free to enjoy the, the things that God has made, even everything that He has made. He richly provides us with things to enjoy, and we should be thankful for those things, but don't put our hope in it, don't, don't live for it, don't, don't even love it, enjoy it, but don't, don't, don't be too clinging to it, don't hope in it. It's uncertain, it's, it's not sure, God is sure, and so we should be generous, ready to share, rich in good works, and, and by doing that, by, by being all those things, we store up treasure for the future, we, we store up treasures in heaven. Now, one more text that, that I think we really need to go to for this whole thing is Colossians chapter 2. So go to Colossians 2.16. And I just want to read this whole section here. Paul says... Uh, Colossians 2.16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not taste, uh, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts, and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism 
and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And what we see there is that a couple things. One is that asceticism can kind of seem spiritual. Um, it can be a, a very zealous way to live. It, it can, it can, you know, it, it can look, it can look really good. Um, it, a, 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 an ascetic kind of person, an ascetic leaning, it might um, give up lots of things for the kingdom. But it, but it really doesn't actually do anything to fight the flesh. It doesn't overcome our, our wicked desires. Um, in other words, asceticism is not synonymous with holiness. Asceticism may look holy from the outside, but it's not truly holiness of the heart that God... It's not spiritual growth that God wants us to have. It's what Paul calls it here, a self-made religion. It's a self-made religion, and it's, according to this passage, it's human teaching. And the other thing that, that kind of comes out of that passage is, um, <clears throat> and I like the way that Randy Alcorn put it, he just said, quote, ultimately, every form of asceticism is selective and arbitrary. So why do you think that he says that? Every form of asceticism is selective and and arbitrary. What, what do you think, what are some examples of, of selective and arbitrary asceticism that we probably talked about already tonight? Hard, I heard hard benches in church, but then I couldn't hear the rest. Yes, okay. Yes, hardest bench in church, nicest cushion on the drive home, or even at the couch at home or whatever, right? Um, it's, it's select, when, when is the right time to sit on a hard bench, and when can you sit in a soft chair? Who says? Who decides? You know, it's not in scripture, so it's, it's the ascetic that, that decides when they're going to do that or the other. What about other, what other examples maybe? <clears throat> I think any, like, whatever you pick, do not taste, do not handle, it's going to be, like, it's going to be, it's going to be arbitrary. Um, you know, what, how, how soft of clothing is too soft, if that's your thing, right? How, how nice of a sweater is too nice of a sweater to have? Or, or like, how hairy does my camel garment need to be right or or how 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 um i'm thinking like what's the minimum length of my camel gar garment with my leather belt you know like is it is it like an inch above the knee or three inches below the knee like it's just um whatever whatever you kind of come up with like that it's going to be it's going to be arbitrary and selective and it's gonna it's gonna some people think it's good some people think it's not good. Um, so there, there's really no way to, to, because it's not from God and it's not from his word, there's just no way to, um, to really get a handle of these things. It, it's, not, it's not biblical and, um, and ultimately it's, it, it doesn't produce holiness. It's of no value 
in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It, again, it doesn't deal with the heart. And that's where true holiness is. It's, a, it's in a transformed heart that loves God and lives for him. So uh, again, Randy Alcorn says, quote, if pleasures are unspiritual, we can always eat a little less and get along with a little less sleep. If material things are truly bad, we would have to eat, drink, and wear nothing to avoid being tainted. Because the body itself is material, both masochism and suicide are logical conclusions of pure asceticism. Masochism is when, when somebody wants to get pleasure out of hurting themselves, out of pain. Um, so if, if you really want to go into asceticism, then like you should be in constant pain and, and never eat and never drink and don't, you know, um, wear the roughest clothing possible. That, that's kind of where this goes. There's always a further level of inflicting pain on yourself. And, and of course, you, we know that that's ridiculous. Uh, Randy Alcorn continues, he says, without daily compromising one's position, a true ascetic's lifespan would be short indeed. And then he talks about at some point there in that, in that book, he says, you know, if we all took a vow of poverty and, um, and gave all of our riches to the poor, then there's nobody left with anything to even take care of us, right? If we all kind of left our life and went and lived in a monkery, we would all be dependent on people who give to that monastery and, uh, and it's not going to accomplish anything at all. So we've been dealing with kind of the one side of our relation to the world. Um, but this is, kind of, this is a place where we need balance. Our, again, we'll talk about it more next time, but we're not just to eat and drink and rejoice and, and be like the rich fool. That's not what we're called to either. But we're not to be an ascetic. We're not to, we're not to, to, to like enjoy being in pain. We should enjoy the good things that God created for us. Um, he's given us richly to enjoy, and we should enjoy, and we should enjoy guilt-free without judging one another. That's what Paul talks about here too. Don't, don't judge one another. You know, you, you might like something that I would never do, and I might, I might like to and be free to buy something that you would never do. And we, we're not to judge each other in those things. We're, we're to, to freely give what we want and lay up treasures freely however we feel that, that we, that we should and can. And again, it's not just by just outward doing, but it's by a, a renewed heart that we're going to lay up treasures in heaven. And, and we'll talk about that. Um, Luther once compared humanity to a, a drunkard who fell off his horse to the left, and then he got on again, and then he fell off his horse to the right. And so we, you know, um, we don't want to be like that, so we don't want to fall off on asceticism, but we don't want to fall off the horse in materialism as well. But we'll, I thought that would probably be enough for tonight. Um, yeah, there'll be times when we will, we will and we should freely give up certain nice things so that we could serve the Lord in, in better ways and, and we should sacrificially give of our time and energy and resources and invest them in heaven. But, but freedom is the key. We're, we're free 
And, and giving is a, a privilege in the New Testament. It's not a mandate. It's not a burden. It's God loves a cheerful giver. We can live like John the Baptist if we want. We're free to do that. If you want to eat locusts and honey, that's great. But we're, if, if you don't, you're free to eat and drink kind of whatever you like, as long as you do it with thanksgiving to God. And as long as you're not living for those things, but living for the glory of God. We're, we're free to eat and drink for the glory of God. Again, we're not to judge one another in such things. We're, we all sacrifice and serve, I think, in different areas. Some of us like one thing. Some of us like another thing. And that, that's part of our freedom in Christ. So, um, yeah, with that, I think we'll just close with that. If there's any questions, maybe write them down or send them to me, and I'll, I'll try to answer them next time. So thanks for being here. Hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully it's a good series. Um, it'll, it'll just keep getting more and more practical as we go. Uh, Father, thank you for this time together. Uh, help us not to be like the, the drunkard who falls off the asceticism side of the horse or the materialistic side. Lord, help us to be eternally minded people, to live for you, to love you, and serve you well in this world. We, we recognize, Father, that we are influenced by the world around us, and we pray that you would Help us to live according to your word in all of these areas. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.